Alrighty, guys, live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar. Great to have you with us. Herc, what do you think? The U.S. women's national team starring in the epic This Is Sports Center ad campaign. Yeah, it's beautiful campaign. Uh, mm-hmm. Always uh, well done. <sighs> that extra time, that stoppage time I got know. us again. Ugh. Very timely that coming off the World Cup. Well done to the writers on the This Is Sports Center. Very timely, campaign. he says. Good, Sebi. Well done. Speaking of the U.S. women's national team, Jaden Shaw, who folks will remember, went straight from high school to the pros last year with San Diego Wave of the NWSL. She's U.S. Soccer's Young Female Player of the Year, Herc. We're going to hear from her a little bit later in the show. That's on the women's national team side of things. On the men's national team side of things, we are expecting the January camp roster. On Wednesday, Herc, we got some sneak previews into that roster. We're also going to hear who you want to see called up when the list finally does make drop the final call. on Wednesday. We've got an interview with Atiacic Torrera of the Mexican national team, Houston Dynamo, as well. That, of course, from MLS Media Day last Tuesday. And speaking of Major League Soccer, Herc, we got some MLS news that is sure, guaranteed, 100% to fire you up. But we'll save that. For later in the show, instead, we're going to start in Liga Emekis, where unfortunately, Herc, the injury bug has struck again. This time, Alexis Vega, the 25-year-old Chivas attacker, hurt his right knee on Friday as Chivas was held to a scoreless draw against Atletico San Luis. Vega leaving the game in the second half after what looked like a non-contact injury. There you see it, Monday via Twitter, Chivas announcing there was no ligament damage and that there would be a, quote, exploratory arthroscopy later this week, after which a rehab plan would be laid out. David Medrano, by the way, just about five, ten minutes ago, tweeting out that it could be six to seven weeks out for Alexis Vega. All right, Herc, what's the impact of this injury on Alexis Vega and a future move to Europe? That's it right there, right? The impact is the future move to Europe. He's 25 years old. And I know what people are thinking. Well, it's only six to seven weeks. There's some history here. Alexis Vega, 2016, I believe, when he was at Toluca. Unreal Tournament, Libertadores, uh, just a teenager doing very well. ACL tear. Uh, And then there was another uh, knee injury following shortly. A second operation, if you will. This will be a third. From somebody who's had three knee operations himself, same knee, ligaments, meniscal, cartilage, they all, they all play an impact on your long-term health, and that's really what it is. Now, when you're talking about the short-term, it's this jump, this move to Europe. It was supposed to be his time right now. He's 25 years old. That's not an age where European clubs are saying, oh yeah, there's time on his side. It was today. Now, we just had this conversation about Christian Pulisic Mm -hmm. not too long ago. It's the same thing. There aren't serious clubs that are really going to risk or gamble on you and your future while you're injured. Now add the 25 years of age to this. I know there are a lot of people right now in the Liga Mekki circle or North American circles that would like to think that this will not impact Alexis Vega going forward, but it will. And not only will it impact him going forward, it may impact his overall long-term health when it comes to his knee and that window of playing time that he has. It's very unfortunate. Think about... If it's meniscal or cartilage, that's a brake pad that you're wearing down, and there is no changing of that brake pad. There is no 
regeneration of that meniscus or that cartilage, if you will. It's time that you're taken away from him. And right now it's six to seven on paper, but you really need to take it slow because he's had that previous health issue with that knee. So this is a dagger, a big one. I find the Pulisic comp interesting. Pulisic's younger, not much younger, just a little bit, but also already in Europe, right? So there's less urgency to make the move to Europe where we would compare him to Alexis Vega. To me, Herc, this is devastating. If what you said about Chivas is right, it's also devastating to Chivas. You basically said, correct me if I'm wrong, that as Alexis Vega goes this season, so goes Chivas. So this would be very worrisome for me because not only is he a star player, but there's what? Two weeks left in the transfer window. I don't know how you possibly replace him from a Chivas standpoint. But from an Alexis Vega standpoint, I mean, this is it, right? This is kind of window closed because to me, you're never going to be in a better spot than you were after World Cup. You're never going to be in a better spot than you were after the last, let's say, 12 months that he had at Chivas. Certainly in terms of his productivity, it was about the best of his career. So with that gone... And the fact that he's going to be 25 now coming off another knee surgery, I just don't know if, if the interest that was there now wasn't enough to lure him away. Because we know that there was interest, Turk. Remember, just a few weeks ago, he was saying, hey, this, this opportunity for a six-month loan trial to Europe, that's not good enough for me. Well, if, if before this surgery, the interest wasn't enough to bring a good enough offer for Alexis Vega, how after this surgery is the interest going to be enough? I, I think this is the end of his European option, really. It, it's sad, but it could very well be. Now, there are different stages or, I guess, levels of Europe. So what Sebi's getting at isn't he can't go to Europe. He can still go to Europe. Mm. He could still be somewhere in Europe. But those PSVs, those IXs of the world... Uh, those teams that are really that platform for him to go bigger and better, that's very difficult. That window is closing. Now, you mentioned Chivas. I say this with all due respect. Chivas is the most irrelevant thing out of this for formula, if you will, because they're not in it. Uh, this, as Alexis goes, Chivas goes, that's a given. That's out the window. I mean, you have to hope what they equip themselves with, what they reinforce themselves with. Santiago Ormeño's out the window. Danny Rios, uh, Cisneros coming back, that type of player can hopefully fulfill some of what Alexis Vega would give you. But, man, if they were already a 7, 8, 9, 10th position type of team with Alexis Vega, I don't want to think of what they are now without Alexis Vega. But I'm talking about national team, Mexican national team, how that impacts them going forward. But it really is that European dream. And it's sad because if there was one player you thought – could have realistically done something with the <clears throat> attributes that he has, with the type of player he is, with the moment capitalizing at the World Cup. It was Alexis Vega. Now that's gone. Let's not lose sight, though, as we talk a lot about Chivas, of the national team. Because this is potentially one less player. You've already got a very short list of guys in the European theater, Herc. And beyond that, it's another player, another important attacking player, who has suffered a not career-threatening, but career-altering injury. And that list is growing and growing and growing. Raul Jimenez is on that list. Tecatito is on that list with his broken leg just before the World Cup. Mexico doesn't have a lot of elite playmakers in the final third. And you look across those guys for the Mexican national team, they don't just have injuries. They have really devastating injuries. You could put Chucky Lozano on that list as well. I mean, these are these stars potentially for Mexico's national team, and they have all had their careers dramatically altered. Mexico right now as a national team is going through a terrible, 
terrible injury spell. Yeah, at least those players have had European careers. That's a reality. Tecatito Corona, he's been in Europe. He's had time in Europe. Raul Jimenez been in Europe, had time in Europe. Chucky Lozano, the same. They've all had success and their failures, sure, in Europe. But these players coming up should strive to be like those players and to better those players. But then you go to the JJ Macias's of the world who went to Europe, came back, that career altering injury as well or a player that just hasn't panned out like Diego Linus. So the players who go abroad and who actually do something of worth are very limited. They're very few and far between. So Alexis Vega was that new hope and he's 25 years old. So this is painting a picture of how dire that situation is in the attacking third for the Mexican national team. Alexis Vega then part of Mexico's national team at the World Cup in Qatar. You know who else, Herc, was part of that national team? Your former teammate, Hector Herrera. And we sat down with one Achiacha to talk about Mexico and the World Cup that was at Major League Soccer's Media Day last week. Let's listen in. Hector Herrera, Achiacha of the Houston Dynamo, next with us here on Football America. It's great to have you with us on the show. Welcome back from the World Cup. Let's find out what he's been doing since the World Cup ended. La verdad que descansar, eh, descansar de la cabeza, el cuerpo, todo. Me he tomado todo diciembre para descansar y, y bueno, pasar las, las fechas importantes con la familia. So he said he had to rest, recover both mind uh, and body. Took basically all of December to rest and, and be with his family. So now maybe with that time, let's get his perspective on the World Cup and, and Mexico's performance there in Qatar. Okay. Haciendo un resumen corto, creo que no es muy difícil resumir lo, lo que fue y, y lo que nos pasó en el Mundial. No, es, El claro ejemplo es que no, no hicimos un, una buena Copa del Mundo, no estamos acostumbrados a a quedarnos en, en, en la fase de grupos y, y creo que eso es un, un claro ejemplo que, que algo no estamos haciendo bien y que tenemos que, que tomar cartas en el asunto. ¿no? So interesting, he said that in the month after the World Cup, he basically like totally disconnected, didn't watch any football, but that it's, it's pretty clear, right? It's pretty simple to, to see that it wasn't a good World Cup for Mexico. They're obviously unaccustomed to the elimination uh, in the group phase, and it's something which shows that there's obviously things that need to change, there are right. things that need to be improved. Let's get into those things. What does he think that they are? Well, I think there points to improve. Yo siempre lo he dicho que entre más gente tengas jugando en el alto nivel, tu selección automáticamente va a crecer, ¿no? Eh, la creación o la oportunidades a jugadores mexicanos también creo que es una, una parte que hemos dejado de, de hacer, que lo hacíamos muy bien y, y teníamos mucha variedad y muchas opciones para, para elegir la los jugadores en la selección ¿no? hoy en día la verdad que son son pocas las opciones que tiene la selección para para elegir o la competencia dentro de la selección yo siento que son pocas las las opciones entonces yo creo que en ese aspecto eh, creo que, que tenemos que mejorar y después creo que también una cosa que nos nos pasó mucho antes de llegar al mundial fue muchas lesiones no eh, muchos jugadores llegaron tocados incluso yo Raúl, Funes Mori llegó medio, medio tocado también, Tecatito que se queda afuera, eh, muchos jugadores que, que no tenían tanta participación en sus, en sus equipos. Entonces yo creo que todo eso nos, no, nos, nos afectó mucho, ¿no? No es una justificación, pero, pero que también hay que tomarlo en cuenta, ¿no? So 
first thing he points out is Mexico needs more players at kind of the highest level. Correct. He also talked about development and, and the fact that Mexicans, de the development system is not really producing as many players and not really giving the national team as many options uh, to choose from. He also pointed out some injuries, admitting that himself, he didn't come to the World Cup 100% uh, in shape. And also there were some players who weren't really having a great moment at their club that were a part of the team, all that kind of consolidated came together and, and obviously cost Mexico at the World Cup. I want to get his thoughts on the exportation issue because he's a player that did it. Right. He left Mexico and had an amazing career in Europe. Tons of successes. And now we hear some of the reason is the owners don't want to sell the players. But we also hear that the, the players don't have ambition. So from his perspective, what is keeping more Mexican players from being exported to Europe? Sí, pues, yo sinceramente no, no desconozco los, los motivos por cuales no, no hay tantos jugadores en, en el viejo continente, ¿no? Eh, yo creo que lo que se escucha afuera es los precios son, son muy altos, a lo mejor lo que tú dices, eh, el, el jugador mexicano se queda en México y gana más, más dinero. Eh, puede, puede ser eh, por eso, sí, pero yo en, en mi... En mi experiencia personal, yo fui muy joven, eh, ganaba muy poco. Tú fuiste mi compañero y sabías, sabías lo, que, lo que yo ganaba. Entonces, para mí no era, no era un motivo quedarme en México. ¿no? Y aparte, era muy joven, podía experimentar en, en salir al, al viejo continente. Si las cosas no iban bien, podía regresar a México y, y seguir intentándolo. ¿no? Eh, yo creo que, que debemos de apoyar eh, a los jugadores a a querer salir a México para que el fútbol mexicano crezca tanto como directivos y obviamente como, como jugadores y, y como país, ¿no? So he talks about the high prices that Mexican clubs right. often attach to the players as a, as a barrier for entry to Europe. Also the high salaries that Mexican players make in the league. That, that hurts their maybe desire to go abroad. In his experience, he was saying he went very young. He joked with Herc that uh, he didn't make a whole lot of money right. when he left. So right. uh, it wasn't that much of a risk to go, right? Only, only kind of good things. He also said, though, I think this is important, uh, that it's important to support the players to, to leave Mexico, but not just players, right? Everybody involved with Mexican football so that, that, that the sport yeah, can, can develop. Can I take you back off of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hablando de eso, eh, no solamente tu caso, pero de los pocos y exitosos en el fútbol son el grupo Pachuca, los Martínez. Mm. ¿Por qué ha tenido tanto éxito este grupo y tal vez los demás en el fútbol mexicano? Hay otros casos que sí, pero tal vez los demás no. Yo en la experiencia personal que tengo en mi caso y, y lo que yo viví en Pachuca eh, es un, un, un equipo que se, se dedica al a cosechar jugadores y el claro ejemplo es lo que lo que están haciendo ahora mismo no tienen jugadores que están produciendo y que tienen mucha proyección a futuro y que tienen proyección para jugar en Europa no en mi caso en el caso de, del Chucky en el caso de, de de Gutiérrez y todos los que los que han tenido oportunidad de salir ahí ellos te apoyan de cierta manera a no, no poner precios muy altos y que tengas oportunidad de poder salir y de crecer como jugador, ¿no? En, en mi caso, cuando me fui, Jesús me ha vendido en un precio bastante aceptable y, y se ha quedado con un porcentaje para futuras ventas, ¿no? Que es lo que yo muchas veces propongo y digo que se puede hacer, ¿no? Si, si tanto quieres y, y crees en el jugador que tienes, véndelo y 
quédate con un porcentaje que en el futuro te, te pueda dar la ganancia que tú, que tú tanto deseas ¿no? o, o quieres o crees que mereces por, por haber eh, creído en él. ¿no? Eso es lo que yo creo que, que se puede hacer y ayudaría muchísimo al fútbol mexicano y a, a un montón de, de jóvenes. ¿no? Hoy en día tenemos jugadores que para mí tendrían que estar jugando en Europa y no en, no en la Liga Mexicana. ¿no? So he says that lots of players uh, who are in Liga MX right now, in his opinion, are, are good enough to be in Europe. You specifically asked about Pachuca, a club you played for, right. the club he left to go to Europe. He says they're dedicated to making players. Like, that's the focus at Pachuca. He names guys, Chucky Lozano, Eric yeah. Gutierrez, some of his contemporaries. He said one of the key things that Pachuca does is they don't put a high price on the players. They allow them to leave. They allow them to grow. And in his case specifically, and he points it out as potentially kind of a, a deal maker in all this, is do a percentage of the sell-on, right? Sell -on, Because that right. allows the Liga Mekis team to, if they really believe in the player, as Hector says, bet on the player, send exactly. him to Europe, uh, and eventually, you know, you'll, you'll get paid off for that. Hector Herrera with Football America is there at MLS Media Day. We did talk about the Houston Dynamo, the upcoming season. You'll get that a little bit closer to the kickoff of the campaign. Herc, any thoughts on what Hector told us? Yeah, very mature responses. Not necessarily something we've not heard before. Uh, maybe a little clarification on the player's perspective of why things didn't go the way they went. It was a bad cycle, but Hector Herrera seems to believe that a few of those injuries played a, a bigger role than they might have, regardless of the bad cycle. And that could be true. His uh, not being 100%, Funes Mori not being 100%, Raul not being 100%, Tecatito, those all, could all play factors. But other than that, it's, it's pretty much what we've already been hearing, no? Yeah, exactly. And I think it combines, right? We were just talking about it. Well, you have all these great Mexican players who are injured. If you have a deep pool with a lot of guys in Europe, then you can absorb some of those, those injuries more. I wonder what you think about Atchech's future with the national team, because he has said that it depends on who the next manager will be. He'd be 36 at the next World Cup in 2026. I would say that's way past his prime, but Andres Guardado just went to a World Cup for Mexico at 36. So what do you think? Any more time with El Tri for Achache? It's so difficult. and I, It's so easy to say, well, he's going to be 36. Andres did it. Why can't he do it? It really does depend on the coach. And the reason it depends on the coach is because that will influence the style of play. Could you imagine if it's a coach who enjoys a high press, who enjoys a very dynamic midfield? Could you really see Hector Herrera at this point in his career or in three years down the road, part of a midfield makeup or setup like that? I, I, I don't see it. Andres Guardado may have gone to the World Cup, but it only lasted him 36 minutes, and yeah. it was too physical, too much for him, and he ended up coming out. Sure, you could make a World Cup, but sure. how much of an impact will you be at the World Cup? And what did you say about Guardado? His fifth World Cup was a reflection of the pool. If Achiacha is back in 2026, yeah. it will be a reflection of the pool and not necessarily in a flattering way. Of course, Hector Herrera's manager at the last World Cup, Tata Martino, who has left behind, Herc, his suggestions for what changes should be made in Mexican soccer. And actually, they mirror a little bit of what you just heard from Ache Ache. First, he wants better competition. He wants to reduce or eliminate friendlies that Mexico plays in the United States. Two, he wants to sell more Mexican players to Europe. And three, he wants more playing opportunities for young Mexican players in Liga MX. Herc, is it time to tell Tata once again to get lost? Or this time, 
is the now former manager of Mexico speaking the truth. <laughs> Nancy Drew is speaking the truth here. Uh, Why you say Nancy Drew? Explain that to people. Nancy Drew was a, was a detective back in right. Sebi's day. Um, it's, it's a very <laughs> reference joke. Uh, he's not really discovering any, anyone didn't know. It's obvious. It's, it's well, obvious. Well, not only yeah. is it obvious, but the last, what, three, four Mexican national team coaches or that have been there in some capacity have said the exact same thing. It's about putting now into practice. I can't tell him to get lost because he's just reaffirming what everybody already knew. He's telling you, he's echoing uh, what everybody already knows. So, yes, great. Thank you. But where was this when you were there, when you accepted the money, when you saw everything going on? Why didn't you speak out then? Even if you knew it, even if everybody knew it, why didn't you make a point of it then? It's one thing after you get paid. It's one thing after the World Cup is done. It's another thing after it's all said and done to just be like, hey, not my fault. Because this is what right. it sounds like to me. Not my fault. Look, these are things that are hampering Mexican football. What about when you take the job and you figure out this is going on? Why not say something then? Well, to be fair, this does come out in the report that he, he kind of has to do as, as his last function as the manager uh, for FMF. So there, there's something to be taken there. It is very obvious. I don't know that I want to scream at Tata Martino for saying the obvious. I want to scream more, Herc, at the owners who are really the same people who have been in charge for Tata Martino and Juan Carlos Osorio before him and everybody before them and didn't change anything, right? The fact that it's obvious, the fact that it's the same things that we're talking about in this show as we did back in 2018 when we did two on three, the fact that the things aren't changing, that's down to the people in charge. That's down to the owners. To me, they draw much more criticism here than Tata Martino. I will give him a bit of a get lost, Herc, because he talks about exporting players to Europe. And then re remind me who were, two of the, who were the two of the last guys that he cut? Santiago Jimenez, where, where was he playing? Feyenoord. Europe. Yeah. And Diego Lainez, and where was he playing? Well, wasn't Europe. playing, so, but he was in Portugal, so yeah. So two of the exports, two of the exports, he didn't end up taking. So uh, it's hard for me to buy into all these recommendations when it seems like Tata Martino didn't even buy into them himself. Is he wrong? He's not wrong. Do you know one other thing I noticed here that I liked? What? He said reduce or eliminate the friendlies in the United States. That word, eliminate, to me, is very interesting because that makes it sound like, and I've always thought the Juegos Moleros might have had some value. This makes it sound like they have no value, well, of course zero they value. Have value. Of course they have value. And the producer, well, the very wise producer, whispered into my ear, never when you said eliminate, how and why would they eliminate these games? No, course, the cash yeah. cow that it is. US but a coach soccer. says it's worth zero. Well, he's a not coach the first. says it's worth he's zero. He's not the first. We've had Juan Carlos Osorio with us. We've had Juan Carlos Osorio with us saying it's worth zero. On the field, sporting-wise, it's worth something or they wouldn't keep doing it. It's worth something or they wouldn't keep going back to the well. That's what it is. It's a cash cow. It's a cash grab for Mexican football. One that they would not have. An extra income that they would not have. That probably would hamper and hurt other sectors of their national teams. I'm talking about youth national team develop, the women's national team game. Whatever you may think of these games, they supplement and kind of keep going with these national team programs. So there is some worth to them, but you can't just 
beat this horse into the ground like they've done time and time again. Uh, going back to that well, never playing friendly games in Mexico because they want that dollar. Well, this is a product of it. You know, you know what they need that money for, Herc? Hmm. Paying the next manager. Who that next manager is going to be, we don't know. But David Feitelson, our colleague over at uh, ESPN Deportes, is reporting that Marcelo Bielsa is the primary candidate to next manage Mexico. David also reporting that he's one of four candidates. Did I see David's going to announce them all on Football Picante tonight? So make sure you tune in. Of course, Bielsa last with Leeds. The national team level, he has managed both Argentina and Chile. Herc, what do you think? Marcelo Bielsa, a good fit, the right fit for Mexico moving forward. First off, I would never go against what a colleague says. But David said last week Miguel Herrera was the number one candidate. So uh, that's interesting. Now, <laughs> back to Marcelo Bielsa. Not his first foray in Mexican football. He's coached in Liga Mekis. He's been approached by the Mexican national team before. I'm not so sure it's that far off to how people are saying this would never happen. This can easily happen. Is it the right choice? Oh, man. If you're telling me right now the Mexican national team player pool is a player pool that can play that style, that dynamic and chaotic and often very physical and very, very damaging to the player emotionally and physically, if they have those players, I'm going to say no, they don't. This is a big name. This is a reach for hope for the fan base. This is a way for them to be energized, motivated uh, from don't pay attention to what's going on here. Look at this big shiny toy. That's what it is for me. Marcelo Bielsa was a very good coach. Marcelo Bielsa has done a lot of very good things. But Marcelo Bielsa and this Mexican national team is a recipe for disaster, and I don't see it being a productive one. I got to say, Herc, for once, I agree with you. In fact, I believe when we did our who should be the next U.S. men's national team head coach, I picked Bielsa as my possible, not as my reach, certainly not as my safety, but as my possible manager, because I think he fits the U.S. pool much better. What do you need to play Bielsa's style, to your point? You need young guys, you need athletic guys, and you probably need a deep roster, right? A deep team. I think the U.S. is all three of those things. I don't think Mexico is any of those things. I don't think Mexico is a particularly young team, a particularly fast team, or a particularly deep team. I don't think the style fits what Mexico would best be served to do at the international level. I have told you, Herc, keep your idealists away from my national team unless those idealists are pragmatists like Diego Simeone. I want a pragmatist. Bielsa is the opposite of that. He might have you play some beautiful football, but you might also be shipping six, seven, or as Memo Chua learned this weekend, Ouch. maybe even eight. Ouch. That's, 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 that's unfair, but okay. You watched uh, Leeds? You watched Leeds? I did Bielsa Tree, okay? Uh, Bielsa, Pochettino, he's taking some of the Bielsa uh, with him. And one that fans in North America will know very well, Matias Almeida. Now, look at the good and the bad of Matias Almeida. Matias Almeida, because of how young he is, because of that rapport with the player, que se lleva bien, 
that he understands he's a good manager is great things for the player. But his style, it, it wears thin. Physically, it's demanding. Emotionally, it's draining. It's a game where you have to be at all times, very tuned in because you're man-marking all over the field and one bad play, as you said, could be the goal against and then you're chasing the game and it turns into two, three, four goals against. But oftentimes, it's very entertaining for the neutral, for the casual, because they're high-scoring games. I don't think having high-scoring games benefits the Me any team, but benefits the Mexican national team. And I'm with you. While for the pundit, for yep. us that analyze this, it would be a circus, a train wreck, and I would very much enjoy it, covering <laughs> it. I don't think it's productive for the Mexican fan or the Mexican uh, pool. Yeah. Listen, man, Bielsa would be very, very expensive. And it's worth noting, he's from Argentina. They just had a very expensive Argentine manager, and it didn't work out for the Mexican national team. It would be very, very interesting to see them go back to that well. Speaking of the Mexican Federation, Herc, they are in the news yet again, as they often are. Not good news. FMF has been fined. They're also facing a one-match supporters ban because of discriminatory chants by fans at the World Cup in Qatar. The punishment has been handed down by FIFA's disciplinary committee for chants heard in games against Saudi Arabia and Poland. The fine is about $108,000 plus the one match behind closed doors. That's the other part of the punishment. Ecuador, Serbia, and Croatia all facing similar discipline from the World Cup. Let's run it back. El Tri abroad checking in, starting the Eredivisie. Santi Jimenez and Feyenoord against Kronigen and Ricardo Pepe. And Jimenez going to make it 3 nothing late. Yep. Again, off the bench, Jimenez, he had everything here. He had strength, composure, showing the speed, the finishing ability. Again, off the bench, showing how dangerous he could be. <laughs> A good year keeps on going very well for him. Don't look now, Feyenoord first in the league. Ricardo Pepe, as we mentioned, started this game, did not oh, score, hasn't scored could have been? Look since at that. November 13th. To the Greek Super League. Orbelin Pineda now goals in back-to-back -back games. Look at that. Matias Almeida renewing his contract there. Orbelin Pineda, one of his big signings. Back-to-back -back goals. This man's getting hot. I told you he'd be good in the World Cup, too. One game he played was the best game for Mexico. Would have loved to see more of him in Qatar. AK winning 4-1 against Panetolikos on Sunday. The sixth goal of the season there for Pineda. Syria, Memo Choa, and Salernitana lost. 8-2, Herc, that's right, 8-2 against Atalanta, ouch. Uh, I feel bad, because this isn't on Memo Ochoa, but Memo Ochoa now has some very historic golizas of, what, six or more, six, seven, he eight He stopped goals. the penalty, Herc, give him some credit. He gets all the credit in the world, he does. We got La Liga on ESPN+, Plus. potential uh, El Tri showdown. This weekend, Cesar Montes and Espanol facing Andres Guardado's Real Betis Saturday morning. Make sure to check it out on ESPN+. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. 
With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. The U.S. men's national team, Herc, U.S. soccer naming Tyler Adams, their male player of the year for 2022. He earned 72% of the vote ahead of second place Christian Pulisic and third place Matt Turner. It is the first such honor of Adams' career, though his third nomination for this award. He started all four games and played every single minute of the United States four World Cup games. Had a big money transfer as well over the summer from RB Leipzig to Leeds in the Premier League. He led the U.S. in minutes played this calendar year, the past calendar year, I should say. He had two Man of the Match performances at the World Cup and at the club level. Worth noting, he won a German Cup with Leipzig last spring. Tyler Adams, U.S. Soccer's Male Player of the Year. Hercules Gomez, are you cool with it? Absolutely. This this shouldn't even be a question. I mean, he won this with 71.6% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Matt Turner and Pulisic being the other two. There, There's no question. There isn't any other name you should even bring up. You just mentioned there his year. Fantastic year in the sporting. I would also mention... Off the field, if you had one player you would say you'd want to represent the U.S. Men's National for the world to see, he gave you a good example why in the World Cup in that Iran press conference. He's, he's the total package right now. On the field, what he's done this year, very deserving, but off the field, what he represents. There is no better representation of a U.S. Men's National Team player today than Tyler Adams. Yeah, 72% seems about fair. Perk, I'd say. Christian Pulisic had a really good World Cup. And just because of the name of Christian Pulisic, I'm surprised he didn't get, you know, more than 15%. But I think it's pretty fair with what we saw in Qatar from Tyler Adams. And to me, though there's great moments on the field in this year, if I think of one moment of Tyler Adams, it is indeed the press conference before the game against Iran and how he handled a very tense, very politically charged situation with a class that you would have been surprised to see from a 32 or 42 year old athlete Uh, and here was a kid just beginning his career and in the biggest stage giving the exact answer you would want so no doubt about it Tyler Adams a a pretty good pick here and it's part of a very promising trend Herc if you're a U.S. men's national team fans the last three Weston McKinney Christian Pulisic Tyler Adams you wouldn't be surprised in the coming years to see Eunice Moose add his name to that list. Gio Reyna mm-hmm. maybe add his name to that list. Brendan Aronson add his name to that list. It's not one guy winning it over and over and over again. you got a real nice young core that are getting these awards. And that's, that's very promising for the national team. 
it not only is it very promising for the national team, but it's promising for those players because they're putting. I mean, listen, you win Player of the Year for the U.S. Men's National Team, you're you're up there with the likes of Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan, Tim Howard. You know, Casey Keller, these big names. So it's a huge honor, but you're right. The fact that they're getting these at, Christian was the youngest, I believe, age 18, and now they're, what, early 20s. It's promising signs for sure. All right, Herc, let's talk about the January camp, okay? And not just the January camp, but the two games at the end of January that are a huge part of the camp. Because reports into Football Americas, early reports to Football Americas, are that Alejandro Zendejas will indeed be part of the U.S. call-up on Wednesday. He is, of course, Mexican-American, has represented Mexico at the senior international level, has represented both the United States and Mexico at the youth international level. We're also hearing Brandon Vasquez will be called up, another Mexican-American, as part of this January camp. Let's focus in on Zendejas first, because this is a player, because he plays for Club América, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in Mexico. He gets a lot of attention in the Mexican press, Hercules Gomez. How big a deal is the Zendejas decision in the U.S.-Mexico rivalry? It's massive, because while some players are trying to become a household name, uh, Ricardo Pepe in the Mexican market, um, Efrain Alvarez, Julian Araujo, David Ochoa, Ricardo made it here in the U.S. market, Major League Soccer, if you will. But Sendejas has that <clears throat> recognizable name with easily the most recognizable team in North America and one of the most recognizable in the Americas, which is Alejandro Sendejas. So this is a huge, huge win for U.S. soccer. And one, I may add, just seems right. It seems like a natural fit. You go back and you look at its prime players, the Weston McKinney's of the world the Tyler Adams of the world, the Christian Polistics of the world. He was playing with these guys. He was on those youth national teams. He grew up on those youth national teams with these players. It's just a natural fit. And the way everything ended with them at FMF, them trying to force him to sign that waiver before getting on the team bus, force him to make a decision that would impact and alter his sporting life, it just feels like this was bound to happen. This is huge. This is massive. This is another big player committing to the U.S. Now, we could talk about the battle for these players. Mm. Up until now, I believe Ricardo Pepe is really the only massive name that you could say could ha maybe be something there. There could be something there. Mexico has, I don't even want to say one players because that's not the right way to look at this, but they've not given those opportunities or chances to the players that they've actually brought in. The Efrain Alvarez, the Julian Araujos, the David Ochoas, those players that they've fought for, they've not given those opportunities too. So this is going to be big. Uh, seeing what happens with Nadejas and his future will be massive for uh, years to come with recruitment. I'm glad you mentioned Ricardo Pepe. Is this, if it goes through and Alejandro Zendejas does eventually end up choosing the U.S. and representing the U.S.? Is this a bigger commitment than Pepe? No, no, because right now Pepe is in Europe. Pepe was sold for 20 millions, million, excuse me. We can't just discard the fact that this teenager was sold for $20 million and he's already played in the Bundesliga. Yeah, okay, no success. But the Eredivisie now, good success. And that he was 
a big part of his national team. Unfairly didn't go. I firmly believe he should have been on that flight to Qatar. Did not go, but he's been a big player for his national team. Sendejas could have a better career. Maybe, sure. But at this moment, this point in time, it's Ricardo Pepe who's the biggest draw. You call it a big win for the U.S. I think it's a bigger loss for Mexico. You know, I'm watching this guy play for Club America over the weekend, and I just think Mexico could use a player like this. Yes, producer Beto saying it's not over. Don't it's give over. up hope yet. It's over. And Herc says it's over. There you go. Welcome into our production meetings where disagreement <laughs> is the flavor of the day. There, 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 is no, there is no going back from this. It, it's over. Sendejas makes this January camp. There's no going back to Mexico unless something dramatically changes. Well, but think about it. From Zendeca's perspective, there's a lot of competition there for him. Pulisic, Weah, Gio Reyna, Aronson. I'm, I'm sure there will be more out of that U20 group. If you look at Mexico, there's, there's way less competition there. And there's way more need. So from an FMF standpoint, not only is this a, a big loss because of the talent of the player, to your point, it's a big loss because of how they did it. They, they botched it. They, they had him into this, right. right? They convinced him to come into the group. There must have been some interest from Zendejas in representing Mexico. Uh, and FMF, at least it appears at this juncture, has totally botched it. Looks like he's going to go, Herc, to the U.S. And this is a player Mexico really could have used. If I'm, if I'm in the psyche of Alejandro Zendejas, I'm thinking to myself, I want to go to Europe. I'm thinking to myself of how a scout, a European scout, or a European team will view FMF and the Mexican pool and this U.S. pool. Because if anything, this U.S. pool has a certain fame with it recently. Young, hungry, good players, exporting players. It, it seems to be more of a, of a little fame that's now going with the Argentine, the Brazilian. When you look at those players, they're guarantees. There's more of a guarantee now of these players being exported out of the U.S. program than there is the Mexican program. And maybe there's a psyche that comes with that for these dual nets. Sendejas then reportedly set to come in when the call-up list comes down on Wednesday. Let's get to some names that Herc wants to see on the call-up list. Under Anthony Hudson, who's going to be uh, taking over the team in the interim. Herc, who do you want to see called up on Wednesday for these games, which are next Wednesday and then next weekend? I will add, I hate January camps, and producer Beto's going to... Why you hate January camps? Well, producer Beto's going to allow me the forum when we get closer to January camp to explain why I hate January camp. But let me get on the names I want to see. You hate everything. Why not? Old man yelling at clouds. All right, first up, John Tolkien. Come on down. 20 years old, New York Red Bulls, left back. Uh, I will add, he is a left back. Why is that important, Seb? Why is a left back important? Can you tell me? Because no? you need people there. You need bodies. You, you don't trust no Anthony bodies. Robinson. That's exactly right. You don't have an Anthony Robinson. He's 20 years old. Two straight seasons where he's a very good contributor for the New York Red Bulls. He's got big clubs around him. Anderlecht in Belgium. Obviously the sister team. Uh, the Red Bull teams in Europe. This is a player that I can come in, compete, and could potentially be a player for the future. But it's just you don't have those bodies. He's got a very good left foot. Oh, by the way, uh, our good friends... Our good friends at the CIES Football Observatory have just named him the most promising left back in the world wow. at the U22 or U21 level. I don't know who they are. but uh, Wow. 
I like it. But we're going to quote him here on Football America. But we're going to quote him here on Football America. And it really is about Anthony Robinson and the lack of depth at the left back position. So let me tell you this real quick. When we did our special, our depth chart looking ahead to 2026, the one bit of feedback that was the most consistent in terms of players left out, John Tolkien. I got yeah. a lot of that on so social media. I. People really wanted to, to see him in that Best list Best hairdo in Major League Soccer, if you know, you know. All right, so who else you want to see in this list on Wednesday? Oh, man. I Actually, we interviewed him in MLS Media Day, Jack McGlynn. I very much enjoyed interviewing this mm -hmm. kid. Uh, U20 prospect from the Philly Union should be of no surprise that we got a Philly Union player here. It's a big, it's a big cycle. I won't even say year. It's a big cycle for my man Jack McGlynn. Jack McGlynn, who certainly will want people to not remember him from MLS Cup. Can't wait for our interview with him. He, he speaks about that. But he's another left footer. Good on set pieces. Very calm, cerebral in the midfield. And he's going to have a U20. He's going to have the U23 tournament that you very much enjoy, which is the Olympics. Yep. And he will be vying in a very crowded midfield for what is the 2026 uh, World Cup pool. But this is a player right now that I'm very interested in seeing how he bounce, bounces back from that MLS Cup. And I think yep. in January camp, seeing how he does with his peers and maybe players that are just above that level, how he integrates with them will be crucial. Her confident. Very confident. That was my big takeaway Loved from it. Jack. Not arrogant. No. Not cocky, but confident. Loved that was it. my big takeaway from our time with Jack McGlynn at MLS Media Day last week. All right, we got time for one more. I think one more from Herc's wish list. Who you got? Diego Luna. Speaking ah. of dual nats, can I get Rio Grande's finest, the prodigy from USL himself, the teenager? Uh, you said it when we interviewed Lucas Celarayan. The number 10 position is a dying position. It's a dying breed. Here we go. We got a teenager who's a 10, who's good on the ball. He's shifty. He's creative. He unlocks defenses in that final third. And RSL right now, not playing mm -hmm. too much, but I think this is a kid who's of value. If anything, to prove to Sebi that the number 10 position isn't dying and you could still see some value there. But I'm interested to see how he does at that next level. And more than anything, this continued battle with these dual nats, it's, it, this is an interesting prospect for me. Diego Luna, of course, the, uh, the pride of El Paso in the USL. You went, you went very young here. These are like all U20s. What yeah. happened to the, the Jeremy Abobases of the world, the guys that have earned it in Major League Soccer? Like, right. The Julian Gressel, a new citizen, is reported he's going to be in camp, uh, just called up. That's the so, DC guy. On, is that the, why you're the, naming him? The DC guy? Nah, uh, I like Steve Gressel. Goff reporting that Gre Julian Gressel, Gressel, yes, Gressel's no longer with DC. No longer with You're DC right, he's in Canada. I know. Gressel's a very good player. Yep. Very good. But why am I going with these three players? Because January camp is now not a reward for what you do in Major League Soccer. Okay. It has to be more nuanced, and I think the fan knows this. It's of no good to you to reward players that are probably fourth, fifth in that depth chart. You need to unearth players that could potentially do something for you down the road. And this is why you're going younger. This is why I'm going younger. I know what the Julian Gressels of the world can give you. Now listen, he could have a very good career and potentially get himself onto that roster. That is great. But you need to see what these players can do because I named John Tolkien. John Tolkien might leave this season. He could be in Europe next season. Same thing with McGlynn. Same thing with Diego Luna. You need to look at the future. Play the kids. That's what Hercules Gomez kids. wants to see for the U.S. men's national team 
in their January friendlies. Let's run it back, USMNT edition. Daryl DK with his third league goal of the season. Burke oh, off no. the bench, oh, and it no. sparks a 3-2 comeback win for West Brom over Luton Town, where, by the way, Ethan Horvath oh, my. was in goal. Ethan Horvath saw his life flash before his eyes. <laughs> West Brom sixth in the championship right now. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Jaden Shaw is U.S. Soccer's Young Female Player of the Year for 2022. What a year it was. A strong rookie season in the National Women's Soccer League with San Diego Wave. Plus her performance with the U.S. at the Under-20 World Cup and leading up to the tournament. She just beat out Alyssa Thompson for the award. Very close in the voting, actually. 35.1% to 34.4%. So tough competition in that category for Jaden Shaw. And some illustrious company as we look back at some of the former winners. You see some big names of the current U.S. Women's National Team. The first winner ever back in 1998, Cindy Parlo Cohn, the current president of U.S. Soccer. How about that? Hmm. For more, we welcome into Football America as the aforementioned Jaden Shaw. Jaden, congratulations on the award and welcome to the show. Great to have you for the first time. Thank you so much. All right, so we've been following your career. I have to admit, I, I kept an eye on you when you were training with the Washington Spirit, <laughs> kind of hoping that maybe you'd end up with the Spirit. It's okay, you ended up with San Diego. It seems like that worked out uh, pretty well for you. Let's talk about this award. What does it mean to you to be named U.S. Soccer Young Female Player of the Year? Yeah, it means everything to me. I mean, this is um, the country that I'm proud to play for, and I'm super excited to be in this position, and I can't wait to get back to work. Jaden, you turned pro last year. Walk me through the decision of turning pro, and if memory serves me correctly, you came midway through the season, so what was that like for you? Uh, yeah, I was originally committed to the University of North Carolina, Temple Hill. And I, you know, I went to the Washington to see if I could, you know, hang and, you know, be a part of this um, amazing league and organization and all of that stuff. And I, I loved it and I couldn't get enough. So I was like, well, I want to go pro right now. And yeah. I got to ask about that decision because I'm thinking, Jaden, a player <laughs> of your quality might have had some other options, right? Whether it was maybe elsewhere in NWSL or maybe even in Europe. Did you ever mm. considering... Like, consider going to Europe because we've seen a lot of young players uh, in your shoes make that move. Yes, I would absolutely love to go to Europe um, at some point in my career. Um, that's definitely a goal of mine. Um, I've, I've grown up going to Europe and 
playing and uh, you know loving it there. So um, yeah, that's definitely an option for me. Hey, tell me about tell me about the season with San Diego because I got to imagine it, it was quite an experience, but. It just has to be cool to be playing with professionals, especially somebody like Alex Morgan, yeah. right, who, who's a face of the game, not just here domestically, but really globally. What did you take from those experiences in year one? Um, yeah, well, I'm super blessed to be in a position to play with such high-level players and have such high-level coaching staff. Um, I mean, I've learned so much about, I mean, being a pro in general, let alone playing the sport of soccer. Um, yeah, Alex is an amazing role model. And- I'm super blessed to be able to play next to her and, and just learn from her every day. And, and yeah. Well, tell us about maybe using some of that experience and taking it to the U20 national team, about making the world, you know, the U20 World Cup. Uh, what you feel about that and how maybe you can use that professional experience now in the U20 ranks? Um, yeah, I mean, he, he is a, a leader and a, a huge mentor for me. And, uh, whether she really knows it or not, but um, yeah, I'd definitely take it to the U20s and just maybe take over that leadership role or, you know, just be able to um, set an example on the field and, and all that. Let's talk about goals for this year. I mean, pretty good 2022. You get U.S. Soccer's Young Female Player of the Year award, but I'm sure you want to build on that for 2023 there is a world cup coming up in 2023 at the senior level i think there's an under 20 world cup coming up in 2024 i think you'd be age eligible for that so talk about that timeline what are you focused on and do you see yourself maybe making the world's cup squad as early as as this summer um well i just know that i'm just gonna work as hard as i can to be able to get an opportunity like that like there's a huge dream come true for me um i mean this 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 past season has been absolutely amazing. Like I couldn't dream it being any better. And I just know that I just need to put in more work and to get to the to that level and possibly um, be given the opportunity to be on that roster. Hey, Jaden, what about personally? Um, in your time in San Diego this season, have you set a goal for yourself or what you'd like to see or maybe a collective goal as well with the Wave? Um, like I said, with the... The video that I took with um, Naomi Gurma this year, we're, we're going all the way. Um, this is going to be an amazing year for us. I'm super excited and super blessed to be um, surrounded by the Super Girls and, and the amazing coaching staff, Casey Stoney. She's amazing. Um, I feel like personally, I want to go all the way. Um, I, you know, just, just want to keep raising the bar. Pretty big expectations there after a year one for the expansion team. But Jaden Shaw knows what she wants. I don't doubt she'll get it. Jaden, thanks so much for the time. Great to have you here with us on Football Americas and good luck this year. Yes, thank you so much. Congratulations once again to Jaden Shaw on the honor. First test of the World Cup year coming up for the U.S. Women's National Team. The squad is training in New Zealand ahead of a couple friendlies against New Zealand. The first one tomorrow, the second on Friday. U.S. of course slated to play all three of their group phase games at the World Cup in New Zealand. So this is a perfect preparation trip. Let's hear from Alex Morgan and Becky Saubron. They spoke earlier today. 
the last five or ten years we've played them quite a few times and I know a couple of players on the team as well um, but having a World Cup here on home soil I think it just puts a lot more excitement but also pressure on them as well just to continue to make things even better um, to take it a few more notches up so for us to be here um, you know I hope that it continues to create buzz and excitement for the World Cup and for women's football and I think that we are doing that but we're we're here for one thing and that's to get preparation in for the World Cup and to have two games that help us take two steps forward um, as we inch closer. It is extremely important. I think it's really difficult to replicate what you're going to see at a World Cup. So to be able to come here six months prior and to play in the stadiums, to get a feel for the town and the cities that you're going to play in, it's really important and it's super helpful for us. Again, the U.S. Women's National Team facing off against New Zealand on Tuesday and Friday this week, looking to kick off the World Cup year on the right foot. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's transition to Liga Mekis. In case you missed it, Herc. Rob Schneider was at Tigres against Pachuca. Is this a, is this a big deal still? Uh, uh, no. Uh, Deuce Bigelow's there. Awesome. Um, I don't know. What's, what's the deal with Rob? I haven't seen. When's the last time I saw Rob Schneider? Was it 51st Dates? Who is more popular at a Tigres game, Rob Schneider or Hercules Gomez? I don't think people really know Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider's wife from Monterrey is a huge Tigres fan. All right, so Rob Schneider, not a big deal. The game between Tigres and Pachuca was. No Nico Ibanez, we'll explain why a little bit later. Nine minutes in, La Chofis puts Pachuca up 1-0. You know what's crazy? La Chofis from Chivas to Pachuca was in exchange for Santiago Ormeño who's no longer going to be part of Chivas. Let that sink in. Tigres striking back in the 32nd minute through Fernando Gorriarán, 1-1. New signing! Get your goal, my man! Uh, big game for him. Great header from him as well. 1-1 into the second half. André Pierre Gignac, 2-1 Tigres. Garza redirects to Andre Pierre Gignac, Mr. Tigre himself, the first of the evening. And then look at this. Oh no, what are you doing, Kevin Alvarez? What are you doing? Oh no. Luis Quinones on 80, making it 3 1 after the bad gaff at the back hurt. 
one of many gasolines that go. And here's another one. And look at, look at Andre Pierre Gignac. Quinones, come with me. Here's a gift, my friend. I know Christmas was uh, a few weeks ago. Quinones with a brace, four to one the final. Tigres off to a two and zero start. The only team in Liga Mekis off to a perfect start. And things are about to get even better because Nico Ibanez is leaving Pachuca, the champion, to join up with Tigres. Reportedly, yeah. he's already in the city. We got medical exams tomorrow. Nico Ibanez, the reigning golden boot of Liga Mekis, about to team up with Andre Pierre Gignac and company. Big move, Herc. Does this now make Tigres the favorite to win Liga Mekis? Tigres are the favorite to win Liga Mekis. Tigres are the favorite to win Liga Mekis. Tigres are the favorite to win Liga Mekis. Mm-hmm. On paper, yes, absolutely. And this is a good piece of business, by the way, for Pachuca. Reported $11 million plus. Uh, and they also get Leo Flores uh, from the U20 program of Tigres, who is a very prominent figure in that U20 program, an attacker. So they're always thinking ahead. They're always thinking how they can get better. A huge piece of business for them. But how can they not be favorites? Gorriaran's there, a very good signing uh, from Santos to Tigres. Uh, they beat Santos for the first time in 12 years. The first time they've beaten Santos in Torreon in 12 years. Uh, they beat Pachuca, who they never beat. I don't care where they play. Los Regios, Monterrey, Tigres always lose to the Pachuca teams. The best defense in the league gets the best defensive coach in the last two years in Diego Coca, uh, bicampeón as well. They now get Nico Ibanez, who's the reigning Golden Boot winner. Along with the reigning Golden Boot winner, you have last season before that reigning Golden Boot winner, which is Andre Pierre Gignac. And before him, Nico Ibanez. So you have the last three Golden Boot winners in Liga Mekis on your roster. An already strong, potent roster with yes. experience. A very explosive team. And Nico Ibanez may be to many, in the eyes of many, a win-now type of signing but to me, this screams future. Nico Ibanez isn't retiring tomorrow. Nico Ibanez will be around for the next six, seven, eight years. Andre Pierre Gignac is approaching 37 years of age and at some point will drift off into the sunset as one of the better players, the best players that's ever played in Liga MX. But this is a signing for the future, a changing of the guard, if you will. But in the meantime, with that changing of the guard, it just makes your team even more scary. This is a statement signing. This is Bayern Munich-esque, okay? Tigres, who are the richest or among the richest, didn't go to a small team and pick up a, a bit part player. They went to the defending champions and bought their top scorer, the team that many people think is, before this move was completed, if not the favorites, certainly among the favorites to win Liga Mekis and therefore repeat in Pachuca. They've decimated Pachuca's chances. I don't think they're real contenders anymore without Nico Ibanez. This is an incredible and impressive bit of business from Tigres Herc. My one thought would be, and I'm, I'm actually kind of going back to the, the LAFC days, when they brought all those people in during the summer window, you said, all right, surely they're the favorite. Surely it has to work out. Well, it didn't exactly work out. Is there any problem with the Gignac-Ibanez combination? Well, how, does, how does Diego Coca figure that out? Or is it just an easy plug and play? Just compare LAFC to Tigres. Their situations, yes. 
Don't ever again. Uh, it's a good question you bring up, though. Ah, okay. Of, of how they fit the pieces onto the field. Because uh, they've tried before. <laughs> Think about Charlie Gonzalez when he came from Pumas, a traditional nine, and how that it essentially didn't work with Andre Pierre Gignac. What I will say here is Andre Pierre Gignac, oftentimes, even though he is a nine, doesn't find himself playing sentry like a lot nine. He likes drifting out wide, getting the ball from advanced positions, and almost playing as a nine and a half at times. And then when the ball's on the other side of the field, come in as that nine himself, which will now be the second nine. I don't think this is going to be an issue. And I will remind you, while everybody's thinking Liga MX, what's another competition that Tigres is playing in this season? A very important competition that they want to go back to? It's the CONCACAF Champions League. It's the Club World Cup. So that, to me, is just as big of a factor in this signing as Liga MX. They're the biggest draw right now in Mexico. They're the most important team right now in Mexico. But what they've done, don't go with the history. Don't go with the past. Go with the now. You said Bayern Munich-like signing. It really is. We got a roll, so I need yes, no answers, okay, on the next two questions from you. Is Pachuca still a candidato al título? Yes. Okay. Is my golden boot odds, are they worse now for Ibanez being at Tigres instead of Pachuca? Because I picked them as my golden boot. No. They're the most, two, two games. Gignac's not going to steal all his goals? Well, he, he may, but he also, Diente Lopez was with Gignac, and he was a goal-scoring, you know, boot winner. Golden boot winner, I should say. I think he'll have more opportunity at goal with a team like Tigres right now, this Tigres team who is flying. That said, I know what you're thinking. It's less yep. of the ball to go around. That could be an issue as well. All right. My bet's not that. That's all I wanted to hear. Let's get to some more action from Liga MX this weekend. Estadio Nemesio 10. Toluca America, eight minutes in. Carlos Gonzalez makes it 1-0 Toluca. I was talking about Charlie Gonzalez with Tigres. Look at this. He's uh, got to be an important player for Toluca, me, TSJ, and then look at this. Uh, there he is, Brian Rodriguez. It's a good goal. It is a goal. Oscar Jimenez likes it. it it's 1-1. One, 1-1 one. One, one in the 16th minute as the ex-LAFC man equalizes. 23rd minute, absolute golazo from Toluca. Carlos Orantia, the finishing touch. Yeah, but this ability from... John Meneses to pick out Arantia right there, and then in steps it, just a whole, all around, just great team goal, golazo. 2-1 Toluca into the second half, set piece for America. We got a jalón, a pulled shirt in the box. That's strange, that's strange. We got a penalty, Henry Martin. That's weird, a penalty given to America? That's oh, right. stop, you're that's crying. That's a really strange one. 2-2 the final. America winless through two, but also uh, unbeaten. Another big game, Cruz Azul Rayados. 28th minute, Uriel Antuna making it 1-0. That's a golazo and a combination many Mexican fans would have loved to have seen at the World Cup. Antuna's fired up. He said, I wanted to make the move to Greece. What happened? 43rd minute. Berterame, Germán Berterame 1-1. Yeah, Berterame is one of the better players in Liga MX. That goal right there is Funes Mori. Screening that. Into the second half. Rogelio Funes Mori, two to one. Yeah, terrible marking by, uh, what is it, his brother? That, uh, no, I'm just kidding, it wasn't his brother. But Funes Mori on the back end gets his goal, two one. Berterame looking for a brace, he got it, three to one, Rayados. Telling you, Berterame, ex-Golden Boot in Liga Mekis. He did that with San Luis. Keep an eye out, man, Monterrey's a very good team. Berterame for the hat trick, yes! No, no, oh, no, wait. no, 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 no. It's an own goal. 
but it's, it's still a hat trick, right? This is tough. Like, what are you going to do there? You don't put it in, they put it in. Not enough in the end for Cruz Azul. Rayados win 3-2. We got Liga Mekis on ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes. Wow. Friday, Cholos against Tigres. And then Saturday, we got Rayados against San Luis. What a doubleheader. That's Friday and Saturday. Liga Mekis action on ESPN Plus and ESPN Deportes. Running out of time here on Football Americas. Let's get to the Major League Soccer news. Kevin Baxter, the LA Times, reporting President Chris Klein will return for an 11th season with the LA Galaxy. This despite the fact that the Galaxy are currently under MLS sanctions for violating roster rules during Klein's tenure. Those sanctions, a million dollar fine, the loss of one million dollars in general allocation money. Plus, you can't add international players in the summer window. Klein's contract reportedly expiring at the end of 2022, but the Galaxy reportedly on the brink of bringing him back. Herc, is this a mistake by your former team? Massive mistake, and a classic example of failing up in American mm -hmm. soccer. 11 seasons with the Los Angeles Galaxy, a club that wasn't just another club in Major League Soccer. It was the club, the super club. It was the bar of the league that now for more than a decade has been irrelevant. And now for the last five years, not only have they lost ground in Los Angeles, and we mentioned this in 2019, but they've been overshadowed by their neighbor. That neighbor, LAFC, has won a championship in your town. And Chris Klein, and now the Anschutz organization, Philip Anschutz, who's a very prominent figure in American soccer, the owner of the LA Galaxy, Dan Beckerman, they have to answer what success is. Is success bringing in a big-time signing and securing sponsorships because of that signing? Is that how you gauge success? Or is it what you do on the field? Is it about the trophies you lift? Because that's the question here. Because we can go back to the timeline of Chris Klein, of when he took over, when he allowed... Omar Gonzalez to be pushed out of the Galaxy organization well before he was even in his prime. Let his prime years be elsewhere, okay? Brought in Gio Dos Santos and then paid for somebody else to take Gio Dos Santos off of their hands, the $6.5 million that was to be given to Gio Dos Santos. Jonah Dos Santos, Steven Gerrard, bringing in Slatan, 52 career goals in two seasons and having nothing to show for it as an organization. Bring in Chicharito, Cabral, Douglas Costa, having endless amounts of money at your disposal and having nothing to show for it. If that to you, if having a guy like Dennis DeClose and allowing him to go to Feyenoord because he saw the writing of the wall of the galaxy, if that to you is success, then you're a successful club. I don't think on-field success, Herc, is how Chris Klein is being measured. Because he took over in 2013, and his first renewal was after 2017 when the Galaxy missed the playoffs, and if memory serves, were at the bottom of the Western Conference. So if you're a Galaxy fan, it feels like AEG, which for many, many years were effectively the best at ownership in MLS, is starting not to care about the Galaxy. And to your point, when you see how much the ownership of an LAFC seems to care, especially last summer when the team's already sitting in that supporter shield position and they go out and make a huge expenditure to improve the team to ensure that they bring back MLS Cup, 
This is really, truly sad from an LA Galaxy standpoint, Herc. Do you think that the fan pressure that is starting to come down now, because we saw there a tweet from Angel Brigade, we've seen from Galaxian, some of the other the Riot LA squad. Riot squad, yeah, yeah. some of the other important supporters groups in LA, they're saying they're going to boycott, not just the preseason, but even that opener at the Rose Bowl against LAFC, El Tráfico. The first game on the new Apple TV deal. Could you imagine if the LA Galaxy supporters don't show up? Do you think they could actually be the pressure that forces Chris Klein out? Because I got to say this, I think it's few and far between the examples where American soccer fans have forced a move, especially when it comes to MLS. They might complain a lot, but actually getting ownership to force a guy out, that would be impressive here from the Galaxy supporters. And one that's rumored to be freshly inked, that would be unprecedented. I've never seen supporters groups come together and really force something to happen. Not, not like this. this. This is something else. But if you want something to change, you need to force action. Because ownership is not going to force action by itself. Because Chris Klein isn't going to remove himself. You want a better team? You want better direction? You have to do something. Now, there are good things about the LA Galaxy. A lot of that is their history, their fan base. Do you think Greg Vanny has come in and given this team some direction? But you look at what's happened right now. Chris Klein, he's sanctioned and fined. Your club is sanctioned and fined for cheating. And during a time where he tried to cheat, he wasn't even successful at cheating. He wasn't even successful at building a good product by cheating. This is a situation now that has long run its course. And if things go as is, all the ownership group is showing you is they don't care about the galaxy or what happens on the field. They care about the money. They care about the sponsorship. They care about securing other things that aren't trophies. What do we always talk about here on Football Americas? Exigencia. Bravo to the galaxy fans for holding their team accountable. That's how you become and how you stay a big club. More MLS news. John Duran, the Colombian, is set to join Aston Villa for $18 million, a fee that could reach up to $22 million. This, of course, a move from the Chicago Fire. Big, big transfer news for Chicago, Herc. What do you make of it? You know, Seb, this is interesting to me. You and I had this discussion in the production meeting. You got pretty animated, pretty upset at the Chicago Fire. Do you remember that? Animated and upset might be an exaggeration, but yeah, I'm just thinking you better you better do something with this money. You got this 18 million, you got Gaga Slanina's what, 15 million, so you got what, 30 million? How many times did we talk about John Duran last, last season? How That's many times right. did we talk about this guy who's going to the Premier League? Yeah. Once, once that I remember. Yeah. Chicago's irrelevant, buddy. They're irrelevant, yeah. and they got $30 million to make themselves more relevant. They better do it, because it's a wasted market for MLS. Do they have $30 million to make themselves relevant? Because these MLS roster restrictions when it comes to making Get my money, man Shakiri some help. Fine. I don't think they have 30-plus to make themselves better. But I see where you're going, and it's valid. It's a very good point. There are a few places, like Chicago, that really have that ambience mm -hmm. of a true soccer town. Like their glory years. The Chicago... The Chicago Fire glory years, you can go back to Bob Brady, you can go back to Cuauhtémoc Blanco. They were some good times, there were some good games, some good ambiance, some good atmospheres. 
that the league desperately needs back. But can we go to the other side of this coin for a second? Like, if I'm a South American, I'll say South American because this is where this player is from, right? If I'm a South American teenager, like up-and-coming talent, and I see right. that this 19-year-old kid just went to the Premier League for 18 million plus add-ons, $22 million after scoring eight goals in Major League Soccer. Do you right. know what the first thing I'm doing is? I'm calling my agent. What, what's going on? Hey, One I, year. I want, you, I want you to start looking into some of these Major League Soccer clubs because I'm looking at some of these names. Durant, 19 years old. Aston Villa, 18 million. Slonina, 18. 15 million from Chelsea. Coney, Coney, excuse me, Watford, 8 million. Mihailovic, 6. Aronson, 4. Johnston, 3.5. The Celtics. I'm thinking to myself, like, wait a second. All these players are their early 20s or younger teenagers, and they're selling like hotcakes from Major League Soccer to Europe? I want some of that. This is a great thing for the league. $18 million, the reported transfer fee, with the potential to grow to 22. Herc, they bought him for like $2 million. 2.3. So great business here. Great business if you're the Chicago Fire front office. If you're a Chicago Fire fan, this is not a Miguel Almiron situation where a guy came, dominated, left you a bunch of trophies and memories, and then left. So I understand the organization probably feels very good. They're patting themselves on the back. But a Fire fan probably is not patting themselves on the back. They haven't really won with this move, not yet. That's why I say, Herc, that's why I say you've got to do something with the, whether 30 million, 20 million, whatever it ends up being. That's enough to make Chicago way better than they've been. And I want to see it invested right away. Not in Fair. six months, not in 12 months, Fair. not in 18 months. Fair. And Andrew Hendrickson should be pretty upset at this. Uh, but our friend who was a great interview at MLS Media Day, Jaredan Shakiri, he should be very upset at this as well. Why? Because he wants to win. That's he right. told us that when we interviewed him. He, That's wants, right. he understands the importance of Chicago Fire to Major League Soccer, and he understands where they were in that landscape, and he wants to get them back. That's, you know what? I got to give him a call. Yep. And he's tired of people like you talking trash about uh, he him recognized on programs. You. He recognized like you. Like this one. <laughs> Herquo, what you wearing there? Our good friends at uh, Los Delanteros Madison, Madison sent this to us. Forward Madison, nice, nice. Got What's the Sviggy here. Look at uh, El Pentapichichi, our colleague, Hugo Sanchez. <laughs> Thursday, big show. We will have full reaction to the U.S. against New Zealand on the women's side and full reaction also, Hercules, to the U.S. men's roster, which we are expecting to drop on Wednesday. He's Herc. I'm Seb. We'll see you Thursday right here for more Football Americas on ESPN+. Plus.